Are you tired of putting yourself last? Of taking care of everybody else's needs and powering through to meet the next set of impossible standards? In our fast-paced society, we lose touch with our intrinsic worth, with the ability to value ourselves for who we are right now. Instead of living life exhausted, frustrated, and disconnected from your authentic self, maybe it's time to put yourself back in the life you've worked so hard to create. Join radio host and life choreographer Laura Cheadle and learn how to build your dreams and live your sparkle using the five steps of flaunt. Find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Hello, welcome to Flaunt, Build Your Dreams and Live Your Sparkle. I'm Laura Cheadle, and oh my goodness, today we're going to talk about a topic that is so important and that so many of us kind of fall prey to not doing, and that is loving ourselves. And by loving ourselves, I really mean honoring and loving ourselves ourselves, not just being like, oh, yeah, I really like me. I'm awesome. And then going out and seeking approval and validation from other people. If you're like most people in the world, if you're like me, if you're like our guest today, we tend to get a lot of our external validation from things like our jobs or our relationships. And it's really difficult when we're constantly seeking validation outside of ourselves because it means we're always having to work more. It means we're always seeking, we're always trying, and we're never just in that state of really being happy and peaceful and calm because we know that we are worthy. So, Before we launch into our interview, and before I tell you a bit more about our guest, I want to pause for a moment and I want to invite you into my Facebook community called the Flaunt Flock. Now, the reason I'm inviting you into that community is twofold. One, because it's a great group of people who connect in that real deep way. And it's also a great group of people to connect with who can help remind you of your worth, who can help you find that validation within you. So if you've ever had a day that's really bad and you start beating yourself up, it's a community that you can go to and you can, you know, post about it and say, this is what's going on. This is what I'm struggling with. And there's a whole group of people there, me included, who can offer you some support and some love and most importantly, some perspective. You know how it is when somebody really gives you that good piece of perspective and they're able to say, okay, this this is something you should worry about. This is not something you should worry about. This is some of the things that I've tried here. It's what I see. And then you can kind of just breathe in, breathe out, and move on. So jump on Facebook, request to join the Flaunt Flock, and become a part of our community. You will not regret it. Now, on with today's guest. Today's guest is Giovanna Caposa. And she is a self-mastery mentor and a women's empowerment speaker. She's also a transformational coach 
and a blogger, and she hosts the pre the She Rises podcast, which is an amazing podcast. She works with people seeking clarity on their path to purposeful lives and careers, which, as you might imagine, often involves overcoming emotional blocks. Now, she's got more than 12 years of leadership and business coaching experience, and she's a sought-after seminar, workshop coordinator, and host all across North America. One of the things that I really love about her and her coaching is the way it focuses on the discovery of self-love as the critical component component to each woman's right to live a life that is expansive, adventurous, and customizable. Because really, if we don't love ourselves, we're constantly seeking more, and we're never quite going to get there. Her motto is, when sweet sleeping women wake, mountains move. I'm going to say that again. When sleeping women wake, mountains move. And this exemplifies her philosophy that individuals are limitless repositories of energy waiting to be directed. What's really cool about her is she started off as an alternative medicine doctor and a spiritual teacher. And she considers herself a modern day medicine woman blending science with practical magic. She uses a lot of the concepts found in Course of Miracles, as well as her own journey from constantly seeking validation outside of herself to, as she calls it, spending a year, spending more than a year, dating God and dating herself. So with that, welcome to the show, Giovanna. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. Honored to be here. You are so vast. Tell the listeners a little bit about you and all of the incredible things that you do. Sure. Well, it's a, it's a long story, but uh, to, to make it really brief, I had an alternative medicine practice for eight years that I left uh, back in 2012. And after sort of hitting hitting the wall with my own personal burnout and, and some things that were happening in my life, and I went on a year sabbatical, moved away to Mexico, and then proceeded to travel around the world for five years. And in that time, I created a, a coaching practice. And so now I coach uh, high-achieving, ambitious women around their success and their relationships. And I bring in all of my sort of holistic alternative viewpoints. I'm a spiritual teacher. And um, that's sort of how I roll. I'm writing a book right now called Love Sick, Confessions of a Love Junkie, where I talk about um, Love Sick, which is the movement I'm starting around self-love and women in relationships, and in particular, love addiction, which I talk about. Mm-hmm. And I work with ambitious sort of go-getting women who are finding that they're either on the road to burnout or they're recovering from that. So let's talk a little bit about burnout, road to burnout. And you have this holistic practice, which seems to be one of those things that one would think, well, you can't have burnout around something like that. It's, it's holistic. It's natural. It's, it's integrative. Did you burn out on something like that? And what does burnout mean? And how does, how does that look? 
Well, I, I think there's different layers of burnout. Usually when I talk about it, I talk about it in the spiritual sort of uh, emotional and physical level. You could be burnt out um, spiritually, which tends to lead out into uh, rather emotional burnout, which then leads into actual physical burnout. And, you know, we use burnout as a phrase. It's, it's really something that was used to reference machines, actually. And it's kind of sad because we're in a, in a culture now that we refer to ourselves as machines. So machines burn out, but humans burn out too. And, um, you know, it really doesn't matter... Um, what you're doing as a career choice, whether it's holistic or otherwise, anyone can be susceptible to burnout. And burnout usually comes from overworking, not enough self-care and neglect of self. Um, and usually it comes from a driver. And a lot of women that I work with have a really toxic driver. They're coming from needing significance or certainty um, as their primary drivers, um, you know, they have a yearning for love and connection, but they tend to have that be secondary, um, unfortunately. And they're, they're driving themselves to success often because they're trying to prove something to themselves or to someone else. And that's the, the essence of lovesick. That's where um, we are working from a void mentality. So anyone is susceptible to burnout. It doesn't matter what you're doing. And the fact that I was a caregiver actually made me and other caregivers more way more susceptible to burnout because as a caregiver, there's a lot of output um, on caring for other people. And when I sort of hit the wall, I realized after it had a name and it was called compassion fatigue. And this happens a lot with caregivers. Um, you know, the suicide rates and the illness rates amongst ER doctors and primary healthcare physicians getting ill uh, illnesses, chronic illnesses and otherwise is quite high. It's quite staggering. So I know it sounds like I had a holistic wellness practice and I was an alternative medicine pra uh, doctor for eight years, but it really is a lot of responsibility when you're taking on uh, other people's health and health challenges and you're, you know, having to stay up to date on the latest everything and blood work and, you know, all the, all kinds of things, prescribing and patient care, it, it does get to be a, a quite a bit if you are definitely coming from this um, void place um, and definitely if you're coming from a place of, of self-neglect, which I definitely was. Mm -hmm. I am so thrilled with the way that you answered that question. And here's the reason why. Mostly women will listen to my podcast and mostly women have this way of talking to themselves that if I'm taking care of another person, it should be fulfilling for me. I'm just a mom. I'm just a daughter. I'm just taking care of my aging parents. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. And I think it's hard for many of us to get out of the mindset that, yes, there is a thing called compassion fatigue. Yes, we might be doing something that we do love and we do enjoy, but you're right, we are overworking too. And just because we're doing something that we love, doesn't mean that we can still overwork because that's kind of part of that common misconception too with a lot of, um, not necessarily coaching, but a lot of career development. If you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, yes, but no, because you can be doing what you're loving, but also killing yourself in the process. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a lot of focus on um, fulfillment as an external job and fulfillment is completely an internal job. And the truth of the matter is there isn't one thing or one person 
that is going to fill you up if you are not already full. And, you know, we talk about the analogy, and I do a lot with my clients as well, when you're on a plane and they tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you put it on your children or anyone that needs your assistance, there's a reason for that. Because if you're empty and if you're starving and if you're depleted and if you are not caring for yourself as your primary relationship, then you won't have enough to give to others and you won't be fulfilled. So, Fulfillment is definitely an inside job and, and self-nourishing is, is also an inside job. And, and this whole movement around lovesick is really me highlighting the focus on the primary relationship with yourself. And I have a sort of a three-pronged paradigm that I teach around, which is self-source and other. Mm -hmm. And if any one of those relationships in that relationship system is either underfed or overfed, it can cause a real imbalance. And this is where we get into things that we call burnout and um, just feeling unmotivated and lack of fulfillment in your relationships or in your career. And we are really taught in our culture to just keep on going, just drive past that. And it's not healthy. It's not sustainable. And we're seeing that more and more. I was just recently talking to my insurance broker around, you know, medical and disability insurance um, for my business. And he was saying 40% of all claims come from people that are burnt out. I'm sure. I'm sure. And I like how you talked about the void mentality because you're right. We live in a void mentality get this education and you will be happy. Get this job and you will be happy. Get this relationship and you will be happy. Have another child and you will be happy. Find a better job, earn more money, get a better car. It is a void mentality and being happy is what we create within us. It's not due to our external circumstances. Absolutely. I mean, the majority of the women that I coach, they are, you know, they're medical doctors. I, one of my clients right now is a surgeon, uh, lawyers, PhD earners. Like you would look at these women and say, wow, like they're very accomplished. They, they've done a lot. And yet inside they feel like a failure. Inside they feel like they haven't done enough. You know, everybody on the outside says, wow, like look at your life. You've done all these things. You're so great. And they aren't really fulfilled on the inside. And, and many of them are craving that beautiful, happy relationship and overworking as a compensation or substitute for not having the intimacy in their lives that they crave. And it's just, it's really sad. And it's, you know, unfortunately and unfortunately a story that I know all too well because it's what I created in my life, which is why I teach around it now. And, um, you know, you mentioned A Course in Miracles at the beginning. I, I am yeah. a student, although not always a good one, but I am a student <laughs> of A Course in Miracles. And it's one of the things that really saved my life back when I was at my lowest point. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk a little bit about that, but, but before we move into that, I just wanted to validate for me, <clears throat> for my journey, I was a corporate attorney for 10 years. Then I had that shift. That's when I realized I needed to break away. What really helped me finally take the step to say, you know what, I'm done, was having my second child because I realized this is not sustainable. I'm curious about your shift. What was that defining moment? Was there something that happened for you where you said, now is the time for me to walk away? Now is the time to learn more? Or was it just a slow buildup? You know, it's it's both and. I, so one of the primary things that shifted my entire identity as a woman um, and 
you know, just my entire life was my mother passing away in 2010. And when that happened, it sort of pulled a rug out from under me that I couldn't quite label at the time. Um, I remember at the time she died on the day of her funeral, I was just wailing and beside myself. And I, and I asked a question out loud that, you know, would come back to haunt me later in a good way. Um, but I asked, well, who's going to love me now? as though she was the only source of that. Wow. Yeah, and I didn't understand it at the time, but um, her death, you know, in a lot of ways liberated me um, and my identity as a woman, but in a, in a lot of ways left it in a huge question. Like, who was I now if I wasn't going to orient to her as the matriarch of the family? And it was quite, um, it was quite destabilizing. And again, at the time, I wouldn't have been able to say that to you. I wouldn't have been able to articulate it to you. But looking back, I can definitely see that. And then a series of things happened for me. I ended a very long-term uh, relationship and engagement a year after she died. And then about a year after that, I had another, you know, very whirlwind love affair that ended very badly. Um, and I sort of at the end of that relationship really realized that I wasn't living in alignment to what I desired. I was unhappy. I was starting to really feel the burnout of, of being a caregiver. Um, I was craving doing deeper work with my, my clients and my patients, but my practice was very much set up. You know, when you're in practice as a healthcare provider, you really are Band-Aid solution fixing. You really are, whether you're doing it with like medication as an allopathic doctor or whether you're doing it holistically with natural prescriptions, you really are working at the surface level. And there was a part of me that was really craving something deeper. Um, and so when I had like loss after loss after loss, I just sort of hit that wall and decided to reinvent my life. Unfortunately, because I always say I'm a stubborn learner, <laughs> it took another several years later, another devastating breakup for me to actually realize. And actually I was on the phone with a coach that I was working with at the time who actually said to me, do you realize that you're addicted to the illusion of romantic love? Do you realize that you're using men in relationships to try and fill this hole? And it's in that moment that she said that to me, and she said, you're an addict, mm -hmm. that I remembered the question I asked when my mother died. And I realized in that moment that I'd been living my entire life trying to figure out who was going to love me. Wow. And that was a huge turning point for me. Um, it, it had happened after a very bad dark night of the soul where I was literally praying to die. I was literally praying that I wouldn't wake up from my sleep. Mm -hmm. um, earlier that day, I had contemplated suicide and my sister called me. I was living in Australia at the time. My sister called me on WhatsApp and interrupted that thought, thank God, because I was walking to the pharmacy. Mm. Um, and so when, I, when she said that to me, of course, there was a part of me that was like, no, I'm not. Like, that's not a thing. I'm not addicted. And the other part of me was like, oh, my God, I, I, yes, I am. I am trying to fill, I'm getting, I'm getting a hit. Every guy, every romance, every, even every fantasy, right, is, a, yes. is another hit, right? It's another drink. Yes. And, and when I wasn't doing that, I was obsessed about my career and success. So I was toggling back and forth between these addictions, one to avoid the other. And frankly, I was so unhappy. So that was the biggest, biggest turning point. But it did start with my mom passing away. Um, and, and it sort of built up from there, but my, that was the biggest turning point is when I realized I had that problem. And then of course, you know, uh, you know, several months later it had the idea for the book and it, that's been evolving, um, in the last several years. And I just started writing my book, 
last year that'll it'll be out hopefully 2020 and um it's been such a process such a process but it's every woman that shows up um was my teacher and she was showing me the the way and so it's it's been a it's been an exciting journey but that was my wake-up call I love that. And it's my hope that the listeners who are listening to this right now can maybe self-reflect on some horrible things that may be happening in their life right now, where they're not feeling happy, where they're spiraling down, where they're thinking, why does this always happen to me? And, and, oh my gosh, I too have felt depressed, or I too have felt like I don't want to wake up, that they can hear you, that they can hear me, and that they can see us on the other side and that there's maybe some hope and maybe some light that, hey, this is a glorious golden opportunity, perhaps, to reinvent my own life. Absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely am a proponent of the concept of radical responsibility. And radical responsibility to me is that I create everything in my world. And I, I create my experience of that. Now, of course, there are things that have happened that you know, are, are out of our control. Like some people that might be listening have might have been victimized in the past by other people. And, you know, by no means am I finding faults and saying you created that. I'm, I am not of the new age belief of where we take this sort of you create your, end rea- your own reality to the nth degree and we create what I call new age guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not what I'm talking about here. But radical responsibility means you take responsibility for your experience of everything and how you experience it. And, and indeed, many of the situations in our life that we feel that we've fallen victim to, like in particular, a bad relationship or a betrayal of some kind or whatever, a bad career choice, whatever it might be, if we really sit down and, and are honest with ourselves, one is that we can take responsibility of how we experience that, right? That's all our responsibility and all our choice. And the other piece is that usually there's a role in that uh, that we've played and we don't want to acknowledge that. Like I didn't want to acknowledge that all these you know, emotionally unavailable, like men that were showing up abandoning me. I didn't want to acknowledge that I had something to do with that. I wanted it to be all about them because it's just fear. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But that's where that growth comes in. And, And I just want to validate too, when people have held the mirror up to me and have shown me something that I don't want to see, I don't want to see it either. (laughs) It absolutely. Yeah. It takes a while to sit with that and go, Oh, I have allowed my own vibration to shift into negativity, fear, whatever. Oh, and no, it's not because I'm with you. I don't believe in that whole new age guilt thing. I didn't cause the victimization, but I can see how I allowed myself to be a part of it and how it is allowing me to elevate to the next level, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, and it, the experience part is like, you know, the new age guilt is like, oh, well, you must have caused your cancer because you've got these really negative beliefs and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, there might be some truth that we create our own illnesses because of things we store in the body. Yes, I agree. I'm a mind body yes. medicine practitioner. I believe that. Yes. But to get into self blame about that is not conducive to healing, yeah. but rather it's like, wow, okay, what how am I going to move through this illness? How am I going to move through this disease? How am I going to experience it? And what mindset am I going to have to move me through it? That is our responsibility. That's what we can take responsibility for because we have the power to do that. And for me, when I realized that 
I was completely responsible for having created my life as it was, then I suddenly, like after the initial grief and shock of, oh my God, like I've done this to myself, holy crap, Mm -hmm. then it was the most empowering thing ever because then I could make a choice of how I wanted to literally go through rehab, right? Like take myself through rehab and learn to um, rehabilitate from this addiction really. And it's a strong word. I use it intentionally. Um, This love addiction and it's love with a small L, not a capital L as they would say in course and, and really take back my power and my life. And you know, the secondary addiction for women is work and success and have I made it and how much money have I made and did I get the promotion and have I earned that those, you know, the alphabet soup at the end of your name. And mm-hmm. I had those two things going on simultaneously my entire life. They were running my entire life and I had no idea. And they were all coming from that primary driver of lovesick, of just feeling unlovable and who's going to love me now. And it's toxic and it's affecting women's health. Um, And it is, you know, it does manifest in disease eventually. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, it's, I'm guessing a lot of people out there are thinking, Oh, maybe I can see myself in this. Yeah. I am keeping myself pretty distracted. I am chasing, toggling between different things. What now? Who do I reach out to? How do I move forward? What are some of the pieces of advice that you have for women? What are some of the steps that you took? What might women do now if there's that little niggling voice in their head where they're saying, yeah, that's me? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And there are women at varying degrees of this scale. And when I hit rock bottom, I literally hit rock bottom. And what I had to do, like any addict that hits rock bottom is I I needed to detox. (laughs) And so I, I decided that for a year I was going to date myself and I was going to date God. I love it. And I needed to learn to, um, take back a hold of my mind because when I wasn't with a man, I was fantasizing about one or thinking I might find a relationship or maybe, and it's the littlest, tiniest thing of like, I'm going to walk into this bar and let's see if I can get someone's attention. Um, or, you know, what, whatever. So I started, I started with the man, the man talks, right? The man detox. And that, uh, that took a while because I had to dismantle a lot of the codependency on getting validation and attention and worth and value from outside of myself and in particular from a man. And mm-hmm. secondary to that came where I was getting value and acknowledgement and acceptance and worth from what I achieved in my career. And it's, it's a work in progress for all women. Like I don't believe there is a final be all and end all cure. I think part of our human condition is that we all suffer from some level of unlovability. And, you know, so the first step is acknowledging that you have a problem, just like any other addiction, right? And acknowledging that you have a problem. I'm a workaholic. I work too much. Or I, you know what, I am kind of like uh, obsessing about my relationships. And when I'm in one, I'm not even happy or fulfilled. And I'm worried about whether it's, you know, he's the one or whatever it might be. Um, and, and then, wow, I'm overworking or I'm distracting myself or I'm like, well, screw dating. I'm not into men and you're just 
headlong into a career. There's so many ways in which this, this level can manifest. Once you do, it's acknowledging that there is a problem there and then really it's doing the deep inner work. And that could look so many different ways to so many people. When I work with women and it's predominantly the relationship piece, um, I do recommend doing a detox. Mm-hmm. Um, I do recommend just noticing all the ways in which you are looking for external validation. And in particular, if it's relationship based from a man um, or, you know, women or men, depending on who I'm working with. Um, and so that's the first step when it comes to something like that. And the deep inner work, I mean, for me, I, I started doing the workbook lessons of A Course in Miracles. That's what got me on the go. Yeah. Um, and it's really about watching your mind, um, watching your mind like a hawk and doing the inquiry. I don't recommend going it alone. Um, I would not have been able to do it if I did not have coaches and therapists and people supporting me. Um, so I definitely recommend getting help with something like that. And it's, it's, it's about how how deep do you want to go down the rabbit hole is what I would say to your listeners, right? Like how much do you, you got to really want this. You have to, the pain has to be so much that you just want the other side of it. And that's why rock bottom is awful, but it's always helpful (laughs) because you really understand the pain of it. So, you know, again, I dated myself for a year, longer than a year, actually. I stayed single for four years. I uh, dated God and started to develop a relationship with God. I, I've been, I had been spiritual almost my entire life. I had called myself spiritual. I had no clue what that meant. I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even have a relationship with spirit. I didn't, I couldn't even tell you that I trusted spirit. I walked around my entire life, you know, just saying I was spiritual in, in name only. And, um, what happened is my spirituality deepened, you know, uh, you know, do I still have crystals in my home? I do. Do I still burn incense? I do. But that's not what makes me spiritual. Like that stuff is just so periphery. And I kind of grew up, I grew up spiritually. Um, and it's, it's the primary foundation to develop that relationship to yourself as well. So Mm -hmm. those are the steps I took, but if it wasn't for teachers and guides and, um, coaches and therapists, um, you know, it's really important to do this work with support. Yeah. There, there's like literally 15 things that I want to comment on on that. So I'm just going to kind of whoosh sure. start on that. First of all, question, do you think you have to hit rock bottom or do you think you can catch yourself on the way down and still reverse course? Oh, yes. I, that's why I'm writing my book. I, I laugh that my book is a cautionary tale because I want women to be able to see themselves in the story mm-hmm. and catch themselves. Unfortunately, if you're a stubborn learner like I am, yes. um, you know, you got to get the brick in the head, right? Yes. So you get the whispers, you get the nudges, and then you get the brick in the head. And unfortunately, I needed a brick in the head. That is not true for everyone. Um, you can catch yourself. In fact, if you sit back now and do an assessment of yourself as a child, mm-hmm. where did you go in fantasy? What did you think about? What did you dream about? How did that influence you? Then when you just you grew up and discovered boys and career, like I can look out through my entire childhood and I can see the simultaneous obsession with career mm-hmm. and boys. And it started like when I was really young. I could see it really young. And it was all coming from this place that I didn't feel lovable enough and I felt insignificant. Mm-hmm. And that's the, primary, that's the primary wound that has to be healed. But for me, that's how it showed up. So you don't have to hit rock bottom. Absolutely not. Perfect. I love that. Second thing that I kind of wanted to tag on to is I love how you talked about spirituality 
and then really going deep because there are many people out there who will say things like, I'm very spiritual. Well, that means they wear a mala or <laughs> I'm very right. spiritual. Yeah. It means they don't call God, God, they call God the universe. Right. So there's a lot of deep resonance with spirituality and Spirituality is interesting. I just returned from India last week and we were just visiting a Hindu temple and they were talking about the flip from Jesus to Hindu and the movement from religion without to religion within and kind of the various the way the religions have evolved, the way that our perception of religions have evolved, the way that we have gotten deeper within the religion to make it more meaningful and rich for us. So I love how you talked about your spirituality grew up. And I would like for you to speak a little bit more about that for listeners who might be thinking, I get it, but I don't really get it. Or yeah. are my beliefs young or are they old? I can't tell. You know, it all boils down to relationship with me. And I've always believed, you know, I was, I, I joke that I'm a recovering Catholic. I, my parent, I'm Italian. My parents tried their best to raise me Catholic and I did all the stuff. And so I had an understanding or not an understanding, but rather an introduction to God within the household. And, um, and just stuff didn't make sense to me even when I was a little kid around religion, but I was always curious. And uh, even though I have three older sisters, I grew up very much like an only child um, because of the age difference and spent a lot of time alone and had, was very empathic as a child and had a lot of emotions and a lot of things um, sort of happened to me that, you know, I took on as trauma and I had nowhere else to go but God because that he was the God of my upbringing. And I say he purposely. Yeah. So he, you know, he was the God of my upbringing and that's who you went to. And I, and I, you know, I very much went to God as a child, like Santa God, right? Yes. Like, I yes. want this and I want that. And can you help me with this? And, and, and that sort of, you know, paternal, um, you know, let me sit on your lap and ask for what I want sort of thing. I also went to God out of fear. Um, and there was a lot of the religious guilt and all of that. And so then as I got older and I got into my middle teens and, and earlier on, you know, then I started knowing and understanding this concept of spirituality. And I was obsessed with what was on the other side and understanding you know, and so I spent a very young age, spent a lot of time in the library, like with witches and the occult and everything. I just wanted to get my hands on everything because I was so fascinated with this idea of a, of a higher being. Um, and, and so as I grew into my teens and my 20s and, and you know, for early 30s until all this happened, I was very much, when I say I was spiritual in name only, it's like, well, I definitely believed there was a higher intelligence and I definitely believed there was a God and I sometimes called it source and I sometimes called it universe and I sometimes called it spirit, but I didn't have a relationship with it and when I say that, that is the primary differentiation between saying you're spiritual and having a relationship. And to me, having a relationship is being able to fully trust that that person will show up for you. Think about your own personal relationships. Think about your friendships. You share everything with your friends. You're open with them. You're vulnerable with them. You're intimate with them. You are present with them. And it's a give and take. And mm -hmm. there's a, a receiving of that friendship. 
um, from your behalf? Because you can't just enter a friendship and say, well, I'm just going to give, you know, give everything to you and you'll be depleted, right? Right. Conversely, you can't just sit there and just take, 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 right? There's a give and there's a take. And there's a trust when you're really friends with someone, when you're in a relationship with someone, there's a real trust that they're going to be there for you, that they have your back. And that is the primary distinction. I had no relationship with spirit. I didn't trust fully. You know, I make a joke that I, you know, had this realization in my mid, early to mid thirties where, um, you know, I said, well, my entire life I have been, you know, God's been standing behind me tapping her foot, his or her foot, right? Tapping her foot behind me with her arms crossed saying, let me know when you want me to jump in now. And I'm like, no, no, I got it. I'm good. I'm good. I got it. I got it. I'm good. Yeah. And that's how I live most of my life. I, with, I got it, I got it, I'm good. And it's all me and it's all under my control. And I have to do it all, fix it all, you know, figure it all out. And that's so not true. Mm. And unfortunately, I did have to hit rock bottom to realize that there was something bigger than me that had my back. Mm-hmm. That's when I started, that's when I say I grew up spiritually because I started to have a relationship with life in a way you know, when I was put in situation after situation where spirit was like, I, we're, I, we got you, we're here, like just notice. And I, I had to lean back and I had to really trust that. And it's, it's hard to do when you can't see, touch or feel the thing or the friend, right? Um, and, and that's what I mean by that. I like that. And then I am making the leap that you feel the love then from God. You feel the love from spirit. Possibly some of the love that you craved from others you now receive from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, oh my God, we can go on forever. But I I had several moments when I, the, the year I decided to date God, you know, I had several moments of being just really filled up from the inside and really understanding my value and my worth. And, you know, it is a work in progress. I'm not perfect. I am not a guru. I don't sit on top of a mound saying, I've figured it all out, people. This is how you do it. It's a work in progress. And do I feel like spirits love moving through me every day? I don't know. I'm human. I, I get caught up in my ego. I get worried about stuff. I get just, oh my God, I feel fat today. Or, you know, oh, I, you know, I, I need to worry about this. I need to pay that bill. You know, yeah, I'm human. Right. But I have had these really beautiful, profound experiences of feeling the love and not like the love, it, it, you know, it's, God, it's so hard to describe. It's like feeling the love, but it's almost like this beautiful, beautiful wrapped around you hands of support which does equal love. And I've just had so many beautiful moments of that and being held and thinking that everything was going wrong and then everything worked out. And that to me is evidence. And so now I look for the evidence. Um, Mm. And I would say to your listeners, the more you look for the evidence, the more you find it. I like that. I like that. And I'm also extrapolating this from what I'm hearing from you, that you're moving along in your life, you hit rock bottom, you start this work, you start this growth, you're moving on, you're still human, you still have dips, but you Mm -hmm. don't have to go down as far as you went before. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it is the principle of spiral dynamics. Some people on this journey, my clients say it all the time, and I've caught myself saying it too. It's like, oh, I can't believe I'm like going through this again. I just, I just went there or, you know, I just, I thought I got this lesson. And, you know, the law of spiral dynamics really tells you that as you go up in your evolution and as you go up in your ascension, that you can look back down and you might be reliving or it feels like you're reliving an experience, but you're never reliving it at the same level of consciousness. You're always at a higher level. 
level of consciousness. You're always looking at it with a different perspective. And we're just, you know, we're like an onion. We have to peel back the layers. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to say, yeah, guys, I hit rock bottom and then I dated God for a year and then Bam. I was amazing and I met the love of my life. Like, no, it didn't happen that way. It took like a much longer period of time for things to and there's, and it's still a work in progress, you know? So, um, yeah, there's always, this is the earth school as they say, right? So there's mm-hmm. always another level. Mm-hmm. I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, Course in Miracles. I'm not sure if every listener has heard about it or knows about it, but I would love for you to just shed some light on that and how that in particular helped you in your growth and evolution. Sure. I'm not a teacher of A Course in Miracles. I am a student, um, sometimes not a good one, but I guess uh, that's, that's a judgment. But um, <laughs> A Course in Miracles is a book that was scribed by a woman named Helen Shuckman. And um, it, it originally, when I was introduced to it 25 years ago or more, actually, by my mentor, I rejected it. I, like I was mentioning, I would go to the study groups. I would carry the book with me, but I had such... Um, I had such a resistance to it because the book looked like a Bible and it talked, huh. it, it used very Christian terminology and I didn't want anything to do with organized religion. Um, but the cool, interesting thing was, is that it just, it, it kept kind of following me around. And, you know, when I moved to Mexico and I had my sort of burnout, you know, breakdown and moved to Mexico, I, I brought the book with me and I had it there for a few months and it's just, it was just this beautiful paperweight. And then, you know, I would, I would know the concepts and, and really like, I mean, beyond the Christian terminology, which, which sometimes turns people off, it is universal principles. You could read the Bhagavad Gita, which has very exact same principles They're universal principles. There's no difference in the principles that it's teaching. It's basically a non-duality teaching, but what happened was I finally said, let me, let me crack open this book. And so <laughs> I, I, I did, I started reading it. I started doing some of the workbook lessons. There was, there was still some like resistance and, but it was interesting. And I was, it was just starting to whisper at me more and more. And then when I moved to Australia and, you know, I hit the wall and sort of had that dark night of the soul experience I mentioned earlier, um, it would, the whisper became really loud. And I mm. realized I, I need to do these workbook lessons. And I, I opened it up and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to just do what it says. And, and literally the instructions are just don't question, just do the lessons. They're one lesson a day. They're really like meditations. Just do them as it says, as prescribed. Right. Going. And so I did. And very quickly I experienced a level of peace and calm in my life that I hadn't experienced in years. Wow. And so then I quickly started to suck up everything that I could. And one of uh, my uh, course teachers, Lisa Natoli, had a podcast. She still has a podcast right now, but at the time she had a podcast with her husband, Bill Free. And um, it was on Unity Online Radio and I just sucked up every episode. Like and I would listen, I listened to her back episodes and I would re-listen to episodes and I would take notes and I would go and read parts of the text and I would continue doing the workbook lessons and my mind started to change. I can't describe it to you. Um, <laughs> everyone that I know that has done the workbook lessons uh, just it comments the same way. Like there's a level of peace and tranquility and peace of mind that comes over you and you really do start to know the peace of God. 
And it's so hard to describe unless you've had the experience. And that's why it is very experiential. Um, and it's something you have to do. And all those years of me carrying it, hoping it would come through osmosis, did not work. <laughs> Darn it. Um, you know, and I always quote Marianne Williamson because Marianne Williamson is a very prominent, well-known teacher of A Course in Miracles. And I loved her for years. And I always studied her books, read her books, taught her books. Um, you know, she always says, like, when I, when I follow the lessons, when I do the work, life seems to work. And, and when I don't, it, it doesn't. And so it's yeah. as simple as that. But the primary principle of A Course in Miracles is, you know, is you think you have many problems, but you really only have one. And that is your belief in your separation from God. Yeah. And when I read that, it set me free because I thought I was so broken and I had all these problems to solve and how was I going to ever get right in my life? And when I read that statement of you think you only have, you have many problems, but you only have one, it liberated me to work on the one problem, which was my belief in my separation from God. Wow. That's profound. Very I thought so at the time. I still think so. It gives me goosebumps talking about it every time I get interviewed and asked. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. And I like a few of the things that you said, and I just want to reiterate so listeners can maybe hear that again too. This book had been introduced to you, but it wasn't until you were ready that mm -hmm. you were ready and I think I can relate, and I think everybody out there can relate to certain things that we've rejected, or we've said, it's not my thing. I tried meditating once, yoga, eh, whatever, went to a bad church. It doesn't matter what it is, if it's a person, if it's a thing, if it's a place, if it's a concept. I think there are things like that that just keep showing up in our lives. And I would like to just take a moment here to encourage the listeners to think about what some of those things might be in their life right now. What keeps showing up? And to kind of right now, breathe it in and think about it and to maybe open their hearts, open their minds to whatever that thing is in their life because maybe it's a calling card. Maybe it's preventing that or it's a tool that will prevent them from hitting rock bottom. So I just kind of want to just, Pause yeah, throw that, that out, out there. Yeah. I have a rule that, um, you know, well, definitely the old adage, when the student is ready, the master will appear. And I would say the book will appear, the teacher will appear, whoever. But I have this sort of rule that if something pops into my consciousness, you know, more than twice, uh, two times I start to pay attention, three times I'm really intrigued. And if it's any more than that, I'm like, all right, already, I'm going to listen. Yeah. So um, yeah, just to, I love that you dropped that in there just to pay attention to what's calling at you. And, you know, spirit whispers, um, spirit does not force, does not shout at you. Ego shouts at you. Ego, the course says ego uh, speaks first and speaks loudest. Yes. So it really takes a quiet mind to listen to that still small voice. And that's why I really, I'm a big advocate for quiet time, especially in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, I, I pray before every client call or every group course I'm going to teach um, that spirit works through me and moves through me, that I'm not in charge, that I move out of the way. Just these little intentions. And, and another thing a course says is that the spirit responds to your slightest invitation, but it needs the invitation. And so paying attention, pay attention to these little droplets from spirit of saying, hey, read this book or hey, talk to this teacher or hey, look this up. Yeah, 
I like that. And I also like that you mentioned you went to some study groups and that you sat down and did the workbook. You did the lesson yourself. Because as we had talked about earlier, we need to go at it with somebody else. And I want to clear up the misperception that a coach is the only way to go or a religious no, person is the only yeah. way to go. There's, uh -huh. there's options for people who want to explore. I'm guessing there's online groups. I'm guessing you can start the workbook on your own and then find some people to talk to. You totally can. Uh, a circle of atonement um, is one of the, I would say, primary places that I would go to. And um, a circle of, circle of atonement, I think it's .org. They um, have a course calendar, like if you want to study A Course in Miracles, you can, they literally start for like a January 1st, they start with lesson one and they, they, they walk you through with like a, you know, a calendar that you can print out, you can follow it through, you can, if it is a course that you're interested in, you can, there's study groups everywhere, you can, yes, online learning, um, there's um, Course Companions is another one. Um, yeah, there's so many different ways that you can do it. And, um, and you know, people, when it comes to coaching, I tell my clients all the time, you know, even before they sign up, like, you don't need a coach. You don't need a teacher. You don't need a guru. You don't need any of those things. And I would, I would never actually even sign on to work with anyone who thought they needed me. Right. You don't need those things. You need yourself and openness and, and a willingness and a relationship. And it's just your tiny willingness. And if you want the support, people like us are out there. But it's, it's not a need. And actually, I would say, if you feel you need it, you know, you, you maybe, you know, there might be a therapeutic need. But um, if you, the more you need it, the more you need to look at within yourself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, perfect that you said that. It's such a uh, beautiful segue because I feel like the heart of the matter, your heart, my heart, the heart of humanity, is that separation. But within that separation, when we're separate and when we're alone, we look for those external things to fill us up. And we all do, even mm -hmm. when we're enlightened, even when we understand it's a success addiction, a work addiction, a, you know, a having babies addiction, a workout addiction. There's all of these things that we do to fill ourselves up. And I feel like we've talked about everything. And I'd like to return back to that void and talk very candidly in a very vulnerable way about the pain of that void, because I know everybody out there knows what it feels like to not be good enough. Mm -hmm. And I was curious if you have any tips or tricks or tools that you can share with listeners that might help them fill that void from within. Yeah, I such a good question. So the first thing that I mean, there's so many, so many things I could probably talk about. Um, but the first thing that pops into my mind is something I call find the evidence. And our ego wants to find all the evidence of how we suck. Yes. You know, look at how that person treated me. It must be because I'm worthless or I, you know, I, I didn't get that promotion. It must mean I'm not good enough or that guy dumped me or that woman dumped me. It must mean this, right? So we, we, the ego looks for all the evidence to validate the false belief that we are not good enough, that we're unlovable. And so I, I play the game in reverse. And so when I start to feel 
awful, <laughs> right? Or when I start to feel yes. not good enough, I start to look for the evidence. And this is something I walk my clients through as well of where I am enough and where I'm actually more than enough and where am I lovable and where do I make things work and where, where am I awesome? And the more you start to look for the evidence of the contrary, the more you'll see it showing up in your life. And, it's, and it sounds so like, well, duh, that's obvious, Giovanna, but it really is. It's not easy, but it's so simple. You've mm-hmm. got to find the evidence to the contrary because what we, our brain does, and in fact, biologically, we are programmed to look for the negative first because it's a survival mechanism. So this yes. is way back in the reptilian brain. So we have to willing, that's why we have to watch our mind like a hawk, as my teacher would say, and, and watch your mind and your mind will go to the crappy, ugly, negative places. And so you have to catch it and say, oh, wait, I've just gone down that garden path again. You'll know when you have. Initially, you won't realize it because it's hard to watch your mind if you're not used to it. And what you'll feel is you'll feel it in your body. You'll start to feel really bad or you start to feel depressed or you start to feel anxious or you'll start to just feel uncomfortable in your body and emotionally you won't feel right and say, oh, I must have been thinking something really off. And you can often backtrack and find out what, you know, pathway that you took to get there and then look for the evidence. Look for the evidence of where you are amazing, where you are loved, where you are talented, where you are just beautiful and the more you do that, you will reprogram your thinking. Mm-hmm. And I want to just slide this in too for any listeners who might be thinking that it sounds like ego. It's not ego. It's not looking for evidence of I'm so great and other people are so awful. Exactly. It's not ego. It's, it's that love. It's that spiritual worthiness. It's the beautiful strength of who you are. Yeah, I think that's a great point because you're not doing this to compare to other people um, and nor to like fluff your feathers, but you are innately worthy. <laughs> you, yeah. are, you are a fragment, a filament, a thread of, of love that created you. And so why wouldn't you be worthy? Why wouldn't you be lovable? Why wouldn't you be absolutely adored? And it's looking for the evidence of that rather than like you just said from an ego place of like, yeah, you know, I'm awesome. And look at, you know, that's a different quality to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I can be without a relationship. I can be in not my healthy body. I can be in a state of external depletion, but I can still affirm and find the evidence of the, my worth inside. Absolutely. Yeah. And your emotions about something and even your thoughts about something do not equal who you are at your core. (laughs) You know, so, you know, if I'm having an emotion right now of just, I mean, I just, uh, I had a very, every year around the anniversary of my mom's death and it's been nine years now, you know, I'll have a mother's day too. It's hard. I'll have these moments of where grief will come up and I just, I let grief come up. I let it move through me. I let it, I just let myself feel it. But if I, in that moment, identified with that feeling, if I identify, if I created an identity in that feeling and said, I must be depressed, I must be, and started labeling myself and identifying with my emotion or even the thoughts that go through my head, this is where we go wrong is we start to identify with those thoughts and feelings as opposed to just have the thoughts come, go by just like clouds, have the feelings flow through you like a river. 
um, if I started to identify with those things, then I would go down a really ugly path of like, look how depressed I am and oh my God, and that's why I can't get my life together and oh, it must be because of that. And, it's, and, it's, and then you're just way, way, way down the garden path. So paying attention, paying close attention. I like I like how you phrase that, identifying with that. Um, I've mentioned a couple times on the show, I just got back from India. And one of the things we did was kind of the, the slums tour. And it sounds funny to say, but you drive through the slums. Those are the happiest people. Those are the most God-filled, joyous people. Mm. And that level of poverty is so below poverty that we see in the U.S., but I think a lot of that is because they're not attaching an identity to their situation. Their situation is worse than any listener here probably will ever experience or even comprehend in yeah. their lifetime, but they're not attached to it. They know they're beautiful children of God and they're joyous. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a great example. Mm-hmm. I like, yeah, I really like how you made that distinction. That's powerful. So you have been through a lot. You have challenged yourself to grow. You have continuously moved up that spiral. And now you work with people and you also have a podcast. I'd like for you to share a little bit about your mission in doing all of this. Thank you. Well, I mean, it goes back to what I said very, very top of of the hour, which is my mission is to really, I mean, to heal every little girl that lives inside a woman who feels she's unlovable. Um, And, you know, that extends out to everyone, men, men included, but we are, we have an epidemic of unlovability and my mission is to help heal that in any way that I can. I love that. And where can listeners learn more about you? Where can they find your podcast? Where can they get more? Thank you. Well, SheRisesPodcast.com is the website and you could definitely, I'd love for you to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music and uh, definitely have a listen to the show. We always love new listeners, especially when you can give us a star rating and a review. That's awesome. And uh, my website, uh, you'll find me through SheRisesPodcast.com, but it's JovannaCaposa.com and uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and all the twits and tweets and all the places. So yeah, you can find me anywhere online. Um, I'm in the process of rebranding my website and I'll be launching that in the next few months. And like I said, hopefully the book soon. So um, yeah, that's where they can find me. Oh, that's wonderful. And any last words of wisdom that you would like to share with listeners just for that little golden nugget that they can take into the rest of their day? Hmm. I would say remember do your hardest to remember who you really are. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been such a joy. Oh, absolutely. Listeners, I will go ahead and put up all of this information on my show page as well. I hope you have a fantastic week remembering, remembering who you are, finding that love, feeling that love, parenting that little girl inside of you, connecting with spirit in that deep way, thinking about those three pillars that we learned about today and being brave and strong enough to take them into your heart and into your life so you can find that joy and that peace and so you can really, really change yourself, change your life, and then change the happiness level 
of those around you because you're encouraging that self-love within everyone. So have a fantastic week. I can't wait to be with you again next week. And as usual, don't forget to flaunt. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Build your dreams, live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Come release self-judgment, reveal your naked self-worth, and re-choreograph a life filled with joy. Flaunt. Find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Find out more at laurachedle.com. That's L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E.com. 